You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, it is brilliant to be with you. Uh, A special shout out to you if you're uh, at one of our sites in Stonehaven or Lawrence Kirk this morning. Uh, Brilliant that you're able to join in with us uh, with the live stream. Uh, I'm so sorry I wasn't able to be with you last time I was supposed to be with you because I had the virus that we don't mention. Uh, But I'm with you next week in person, which I'm really, really looking forward to. So we are in a series right now. We've been in it since kind of like last summer in the book of Acts. And I I don't know about you, I love how we are uh, um, being shaped as a community by this story as we travel through it. And and we're becoming different as as a church family as a result, which is fantastic. We've reached Acts chapter 14. And uh, in Acts chapter 14, um, it's kind of like the... Uh, Paul's fir- Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, they've got about as far as they can get and then they're going to turn around and they're going to come back again. And so, and so we're just going to join them just at that point. Acts chapter 14, verse 19, we're going to read from. It says this, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And that is God's word to us today. I remember when our kids were really little, we had a kind of a dressing up box in the, in the hallway of our house. And so on a Saturday, our kids, I'm talking when they were like really small, they, they loved just like pulling out, like kind of diving half into the, into the chest so you could only see their legs. And then they were pulling out all of this highly flammable polyester clothing and, and, you know, trying it all on. And then, and then, you know, we would go and do whatever we were going to do with them looking, well, unusual. And uh, I remember one Saturday, I said to the kids, hey, let's get the scooters, let's get, uh, and let's go down to Aberdeen Beach and we'll just scoot along the beach and we'll get an ice cream and then we'll scoot back again. Obviously, I wasn't on a scooter. Well, maybe not obviously, but I wasn't on a scooter. Uh, and so the, immediately they were like, yeah, we could do that, Dad, but it would be way better if we did it in costume. And so, again, they dived in, you could only see their legs dangling, and they you know, were wearing the most unusual outfits. We assembled at the front door, and the, I looked at them and I was thinking, oh my goodness, like, this is a bit embarrassing, like being seen with you like this, but never mind, you know, like kids are kids. And then they turned to look at me, and they looked absolutely horrified. And they said, Dad, 
are you really going out of the house looking like that? And I was a bit like, what, what do you mean? I was wearing pretty much what I'm wearing now. And then my little girl, who was at that point maybe three or four years old, she said, Dad, you are so not normal. The reason I'm telling that story is because in our world today, it's very difficult to figure out what is normal. And what is normal, or what's considered normal, is changing all the time. Uh, And so the question that I want to look at today is, what is a normal church? What is a normal church? Let me just explain what I mean by that. About two weeks ago, in the middle of the week, I spent a couple of days speaking at a vineyard conference in Switzerland. So the the vineyard churches from Germany, Austria and Switzerland had uh, invited me to come uh, and uh, uh, it was an absolutely stunning setting on the side of a lake and and to be honest I was quite nervous. I didn't didn't know what to expect. I, I hadn't been, I mean the whole thing was in German. I don't have a word of German and so I was speaking through a translator and I was just a bit apprehensive about the whole thing. So on the first night I wasn't speaking, there was another guy there speaking and at the end of the first session he just said, is there anyone here who's sick? And people put their hands up, you know, with different ailments and conditions. And he said, let's just gather around you, lay our hands on you and pray for you. And I thought, oh, it's all right. This is just normal. This is, you know, like everything that happened in that room in Switzerland was exactly the same as what could easily happen in this room, uh, the undisclosed location or in any of our other sites. And it was just so normal. And what we see happening in the first two verses of our passage are now really normal to us. Maybe 50 or 60 years ago, they wouldn't have been so normal to Christians in the Western world. But here is the Apostle Paul. He's lying on the ground. To all appearances, he appears to be dead. And I wonder whether he was dead. This may be the moment where the Apostle Paul is raised from the dead. Uh, but, But nevertheless, he appears dead. And then in verse 20, it says, they gathered around him. And then there's a comma. And then it says, and then he got up and he went back into the city. And, and I mean, that comma is like where we love to be, isn't it? You know, like uh, the, uh, us as followers of Jesus, we love gathering around people who are sick, who are injured, who are struggling in some kind of a way, broken or, or, or unwell or whatever. We gather, gather around people. Now, this frustratingly little detail about what happens in that comma you know I'd love to know like what was it you did in that comma that meant that they were able Paul was able to get up and go back into the city we don't know but we know that we love to live in that space in that comma that's entirely normal to us and so as we've been reading through the book of Acts and even before that whenever we've uh, walked our way through a gospel um, what we see there is is like normal for us. It's normal ministry. It's normal discipleship. You know, so, so, uh, and then what we're really asking ourselves is what did they do in this book and therefore what should we do? Like what we're saying is what these guys do in the Bible is normal and I'm normal when I'm doing what they do. And if, I'm, if my experience or my practice is different from what happens in the book, then I'm saying, well, they're the normal ones and I'm the abnormal one and I want something like that to change. And so, you know, as we've been journeying through Acts, we've been looking at the healings that happen and we're, we're seeing that as really our, our training manual and, and our model for ministry. Well, well, here's the thing. Like, I love what they do in that comma. 
uh, in, in verses 19 and 20. I love it. I, uh, but, but I don't only want a normal ministry. I also want a normal church. So I don't, you know, I love the signs and wonders. But I also want the multiplication and growth that you see in this book. You know, I love verses 19 and 20, but I also want verses 21 to 28, where the gospel is spreading like wildfire and people are coming to faith in huge numbers. You know, I, I, I love the, the gathering round and the comma and the whatever they did there and people being made well. And I want to see, of course, we all want to see more of that. But as well as that, alongside that, we have to see, we have to see the gospel spreading like wildfire. And so um, what I want us to look at today is, is what are the ingredients of a normal church? Like, what is it about these guys here that, that the gospel is spreading from Iconium to Antioch to Lystra to Derbe and, and so on? Uh, and it seems to me that this passage would say that you need three things. The first thing you need is a normal message. It's a normal message. I became a Christian when I was 15. And I think I said recently that, that just after I became a Christian, I discovered the Christian bookshop, which I'd never seen before. And it turns out that they didn't only sell books in the bookshop. They also sold um, T-shirts. And I think I said the other week, you know, I, I, one of my favorite T-shirts, it said, worship the best. But I loved it so much, I wore it nearly every day. And so after a while, it faded a bit and it looked like it said, worship the beast, which was like a whole other thing that, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to communicate that message at all. Uh, but alongside the T-shirts and the books, they also sold fridge magnets and car bumper stickers. And, and what these were, were these are like Bible verses taken completely out of context that were written, you know, uh, on fridge magnets supposed to look at your fridge magnet every day and it was chapter 30 says but Jeremiah hugely encouraging put it on a fridge magnet encourage yourself with it every day or you know he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world or I can do all things through him who gives me strength they were all written on these fridge fridge magnets well here's the thing the uh, the verse of encouragement in this passage the 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 line that Paul and Barnabas use to encourage the churches where they went you'll never see it on a fridge magnet. Um, it actually says, Paul and Barnabas, they, they went from church to church, bringing strength and encouragement to the churches. And we actually have the, um, the theme of their sermon. We have the line, you know, the killer line from their sermon. And it's this, you can actually see it in verse 22. Here's their line. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Well, thanks very much for visiting, Paul. That's been hugely encouraging. So glad you came. If you wouldn't mind just closing the door on your way out. Like, what's the deal with that? Friends, it's the full gospel. It's the full gospel. Like, if you think about it, we're, and I have been thinking a lot about it, we're in real danger in the church in the Western world of only having half a gospel. 
you know, you can enter the kingdom of God. Wonderful. But the full gospel is, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And actually what you see throughout the teachings of Jesus is he expects his followers to have to lay down everything that they have, everything that they are, everything that they're hoping for, everything that's precious to them. He expects them to surrender the whole lot for the sake of entering the kingdom of God. And so you see that, for example, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then in the following verse in Mark 8.35, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's the full gospel. And it seems to me that the challenge of this passage is, if we, you know, if we want a normal church, a church where the gospel spreads like wildfire and leaves behind it a trail of new Christians and new churches, then we as a, a community of believers have to embrace the full gospel, which is you've got to lay down your life for him. A few years ago, my wife Taryn was invited to go with a friend to meet with some Christians in a country in Central Asia and uh, it was a country that was um, you know a former Soviet nation uh, a nation where they um, were experiencing severe persecution and opposition so like even to be in possession of one of these books a bible was a very dangerous thing you know, uh, it could mean anything from your kids being um, expelled from school and not able to get a school place, all the way through to, um, you, you know, you lose your job and you can never find a job again, uh, all the way through to, uh, right, this is it, you know, uh, uh, you'll lose your life for the sake of owning a Bible. And so when she, when she said, oh, I'm thinking about going with a friend to visit those people, I was like, uh, no, please, please don't do that. But she really felt like the Lord was calling her to go. And so she went. And um, it was really, really difficult for, for a long time. We, we were just able to sw swap text messages, occasional text messages. Um, one time I was, uh, you know, she was telling me about how she was getting on and she was traveling in a car. And then she said, uh, our car's being pulled over by the police, please pray. And then I heard nothing for four hours. And then she came back on the message again. She said, oh, it's, it, was, it was okay. And, and so, like, just an astonishing level of pressure that these Christians are living under. And, she, and yet when she came back, all she could talk about was their devotion to Jesus. Just their utter devotion to Jesus and their, their courage in, in, you know, putting themselves out there, sharing their faith, offering to pray for people, even though the consequences were unthinkable. And, and she would tell stories about how they would drive in the middle of the night for like three or four hours with their, the uh, headlights of their car turned off so that, that no one could see them traveling. And they were just going in the middle of the night. Uh, in order that they could meet with some other believers and sing out loud just their songs of worship to Jesus. And you know, in that country, they're seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus. And they're seeing all kinds of incredible miracles of healing and so on. The kingdom 
comes with a cost. You don't get to experience the reward and the blessing of the kingdom, the breaking in of the kingdom, unless you're willing to lay down your life. And I really think that we as believers in the West, we need to consider what cost are we willing to pay? You need a normal message. That's the first thing you need. The second thing you need is normal disciples. So here's a rough paraphrase of what happens in chapter 13 and chapter 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and then they stop off at Cyprus and then Pisidian Antioch and then Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And in each place they preach the gospel. And actually uh, in our passage there in verse 21 it says they preach the gospel in that city which happened to be Derbe and won a large number of disciples. But everywhere they go people come to faith. Now I don't know how that happened. Maybe they were saying okay well everyone else is got their eyes closed and if you would like to become a Christian this morning while everyone's got their eyes closed you just stick up your hand where you are and you can give your life to Jesus and I'll lead you in a prayer or whether they did an altar call and they said come to the front and we're going to pray for you or whether they took them out to a side room or whatever but however they did it loads and loads of people came to know Jesus and you know let's just imagine you're in Lystra and it's like Harry, Larry, Barry, Sally and Barbara commit their lives to Jesus and And Paul and Barnabas are there and they're kind of saying, well, listen, you might want to start like reading the Old Testament because there's a load of prophecies and predictions about the coming of Jesus in that book and it explain who you are and where you've come from uh, or whatever. And anyone who's like read a bit of the Bible before is like something of an expert and everyone's going, oh, what, you know, what, what did you learn? And, and then Paul and Barnabas then, ha they mostly get chased out of city after city. And so they have to run for their lives from city after city. And they're just leaving these believers, you know, Harry, Larry, Barry, Sally and Barbara are there just having to figure things out for themselves and then they get all the way uh, on the journey and then then actually what happens is they double back on themselves and they visit these fledgling churches and these kind of brand new believers and and so so you can just imagine the conversation like like Paul says Harry, Larry, Barry, Sally, Barbara, great to see you. How's it going? Well, to be honest, like we just, like we, we wish you'd stayed a bit longer. We don't really know what we're doing. And, and we just, we've read this bit in Ezekiel and what's that all about? And, and Paul says, well, great news, guys. Like you are now going to be the elders of your church. In fact, you see that there in verse uh, 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. You can just imagine the guys saying, what do you mean the elders of our church? What do you mean leaders in our church? It's like We just became Christians like 10 minutes ago. And in fact, the scholars think that the entire missionary journey, starting in Antioch, all the way through Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and all the way back again, is about nine or 10 months. And so some of these people have been Christians for a very short time, but they're it. And I think we, need, we just need to allow ourselves to, be, to live in the discomfort of that. Like, it, it seems almost irresponsible, doesn't it? And, like, the one thing that we can say for certain about Harry, Larry and Barry and Sally and Barbara is they do not feel ready for what God is asking them to do. And actually it turns out that that is kind of the way of things throughout scripture. And certainly in my experience and, and, and for many of us, we would recognize that God calls us to do things that we feel deeply ill-equipped to complete. 
And maybe that's just a word for some people today. Maybe you, you're kind of wrestling with God or wrestling with a sense of call and, and you know that God is speaking this word over your life, but if you're honest, you feel, I'm not ready, God, for that. It's too big or it's too early, it's too soon. And maybe what we need to take from this passage is it feels early, it feels soon, we don't feel ready, but we have to do what Jesus is asking us to do. And maybe it's time just to stick your hand up and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever that is, that might be you feel called to, to start a business or to step out in the gift of prophecy or to plant a church or to do the leadership college or whatever it is. It's, I don't feel ready. Okay, Lord. Normal discipleship is you do it even before you feel ready. Normal disciples. The last thing is you need a normal sense of urgency. You know, one of the really strange things about this trip to Switzerland was they'd asked me to come and share the story of our church. I don't know how ridiculous that sounds to you, but it sounded ridiculous to me. And, and I found myself sharing our story. And as I was sharing our story, I was thinking, to be honest, the Lord has been really kind to us and he, it has been a wild journey. And so I know we don't often do this, but let me just summarise the kind of the journey to date. You know, we, we um, as our church started to grow, we ran out of space. And we, in our minds, we, we just thought bigger church, bigger room. And that was all we had in our hearts. If the church is going to grow bigger, then we're going to need to find a bigger room. And so we tried to get a bigger room. We tried to um, get planning permission to, to extend the room that we're meet, meeting in. But then it was going to be too much money. And so then we, we, we started an evening service, which is a kind of duplicate of the morning service. And we said, hey, listen, if you don't have to come in the morning and you wouldn't mind coming at night, that would be brilliant because then we could give your morning seat to somebody else. And that worked for a little bit, but then it just kind of filled up again. And, and so we tried to buy a casino and then we tried to buy a warehouse and then we tried to buy a disused church. And each time we offered good money and they sold it to somebody else. And so I just can't stress enough, like the Lord has taken us down a road that we would never have chosen and we would never have found. Um, you, you know, I heard someone say recently that if you... Take, if you get some monkeys and you put them in a room with a pen and paper for long enough, eventually, after so, so many hundred thousand or million years, they'll write some Shakespeare. Well, I'll tell you, we as the leaders of our church, we could have been in a room with the monkeys for like, you know, several millennia and we would never have chosen the journey that the Lord has taken us on. So anyway, the, the, the journey is this. We, uh, a friend of mine was leading a Pentecostal church down the road and they weren't using their building. And so we said to them, hey, could we use your building as an overflow of our existing building? And he was like, yeah, of course. And so we had a 10 o'clock service in, in Gilcomston Park in Aberdeen, an 11 o'clock service, like 500 metres down the road in this other building. And whoever was preaching was just going to preach in one building and then run down the road and preach at the next one. Well, I mean... I hadn't thought this through because I hadn't done any exercise at all since I left school. And, and so I arrive at the second building on the first Sunday, completely out of breath and sweating profusely. And I was met on the door by a lady, you know, welcoming me to the church. She said, welcome to Catalyst Vineyard. Is this your first time? I said, no, I'm sort of like 
the pastor, and, and I'd never met her before. She'd only been part of the church for a couple of weeks, but she'd immediately seen, I've got a place here, I could get involved, and so she had. And then I came into the building and there were uh, people leading the worship. I didn't even know they played an instrument. And to be honest, they barely did, but they'd seen that they'd got a guitar under their bed, they'd dusted it off and they'd brought it out because they were like, I'm needed in this moment and I could contribute something. And then there were people serving tea and coffee after the service and I knew for a fact that they'd been sat on the back row and edging their way towards the back door, but suddenly they'd seen, there's like, I, I, I could contribute to this thing. And, and more important than all of that, people started to become Christians in that building just as much as they had in the other one. And so, so actually we, we as leaders began to realize this is the Lord. Uh, now that we're meeting in two buildings, maybe five or 600 meters apart, we could be meeting in lots of buildings all over the northeast of Scotland. And, and you know, this is a way to make our church a local church for our people so that they can invite their friends, their neighbors, their work colleagues to come along and be part of it. And, and to be honest, I thought well, that'd be way cheaper than a casino. Uh, but actually when we added it up, you know, we're gonna employ a pastor, we're going to uh, buy all the equipment that we need. We're going to, uh, you know, provide refreshments in exactly the same way as we were before. We're going to run the Alpha course, all of those kinds of things, actually, to start four new expressions of our church on top of the two that currently existed. It was going to be £446,000, which is an impossible amount of money. But then on this one day in October 2012, our church family pulled their resources. Everyone came to church with an envelope. And, and there were tears and it was very moving, people just putting their envelopes into the basket. And on that one day, October 2012, our church family gave 441 and a half thousand pounds. It was unbelievable, it was a miracle. And it was an absolute confirmation that this was the Lord. Uh, and so, you know, it, for example, if you're watching you know, um, the live stream this morning in Stonehaven, like your site was the very first site that came from that thing. The screen that you're watching us on right now is a screen that was paid for by the generosity of the church at that point. You are recipients of the generosity of others. It's just been part of the journey. And so um, uh, we, you know, began to spread out and do these other sites. And we now have eight different sites, including the online site, which we definitely do. And, and then about five years ago, the Lord sa said, hey, your parish boundary needs to be extended. And you need to start thinking about what does it mean to uh, send teams of people to plant churches in other parts of Scotland. And so we started to gear up for that. The Leadership College was a big part of that. Um, uh, and so over the last four or five years or so, we've now planted another seven churches in other parts of Scotland and we've helped to plant another two. And so actually where we were one church, the Lord has led us down a road where it wasn't just a bigger and bigger church meeting in a bigger and bigger room. There are now 17, 17 congregations that came from the original one. It's an astonishing journey. It's an astonishing journey. It's a road that we would never have taken. But my point is that, that all of that happens, has happened 
against the backdrop of some horrific statistics for, the, for our nation. You know, in, in 2002, they did a survey, and on a particular Sunday, I think it was in May, there were 572,000 Christians in church on a particular Sunday. And then in 2016, 14 years later, when they did the same survey, there were 390,000. So in that 14-year period, a third of the church in Scotland disappeared. And it's not actually that, it's not mainly that people decided, oh, I'm not really bothered with church anymore, I'm going to step away, although that is part of it. The biggest part of the story is that the church got older and older and died. God's heart is breaking for his church. God heart is, God's heart is breaking for lost people. And there's a sense of urgency in the heart of God that we need to receive into our hearts. You see it. That's why I love this passage so much. You see it in the heart of uh, Paul and Barnabas. Like they, they are on a mission. Like, you know, okay, we're being commissioned by the church in Antioch. Let's go to Cyprus, Pisidian Antioch, Iconian, Lystra, Derbe, and then back the way and visiting some other places. I think Perga and Atalia on the way back. And wherever they go, we need to tell as many people as possible about the Lord Jesus and we need to leave some churches. And so what we're really reading about in this passage is a legacy. They're leaving behind a legacy of new believers and new churches. So like I say, like we, we need to see, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see the kingdom break in. We want normal ministry in the way that we read it in the book. But in our day, in our time, we need to see a normal church, a church that is spreading the gospel uh, as far as it possibly can and leaving behind it as a legacy, a trail of new believers and new churches. Let's pray together. And Lord, would you do it? In our day, in our time, in our nation. Would you set our hearts on fire? And would you cause the gospel to spread like wildfire throughout the nation? and our own personal decision is I'm going to make you, Jesus, the Lord of my life. And I'm going to say to you, Jesus, today, I am willing to lay down my life, to lay down my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions, to lay down my possessions, my home, my car, my career. There is nothing I hold back from you, Lord Jesus. It's all yours. It's all yours. Please, Jesus, would you do with it whatever you choose? Amen. Amen.